my ego started to get uh, larger. It、mm-hmm. was already relatively large because of the confidence I'd gained traveling the world, and suddenly being promoted into a, a people leader position at a young age, and all that came with that. My ego inflated to the point where I started to fail miserably as a leader of people. Welcome to the Secrets of Success podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ken Keys. Well, today's show is very interesting. Just finished interviewing Matthew Gould. Now, Matthew's written a new book, "Lead from Your Heart," and it was one of the things that we talked about. And Matt shared with us was this whole concept of being curious instead of furious. He also shares his story about. You know, being a young、uh, leader and being promoted in a position, and very quickly not being fired but being demoted、uh, because he really wasn't equipped to lead others. So he has a new book, "Lead from Your Heart," and so we talk about that in the show. And so one of the things that we share here at CRG is that really self-awareness and consciousness of who you are so so important in understanding others, accepting self. Your truth, what's important to you, as far as your priorities, how you like to do things, but also communicating that to others, and then also accepting others and their differences. So we have several online courses、uh, that we have produced. We have Why Aren't You More Like Me? We have What Do You Really Value? We now have Dying to Live e-course for、uh, wellness. Uh, other courses that are coming online, and depending on when you listen to this, could be like a dozen of them. The Quest for Purpose, etc. So my encouragement is, is that you know we're mentioning the what do you really value course is getting clear about what do you really value, what's your vision, but also using that to find out others and what is important to them. Now, if you like what we're doing, just please pass it on, let other people know, share it on whatever platform, leave a positive comment on the platform you're listening on, and we thank you again for being such a great supporter of Secrets of Success.、Uh, tell others and have. A great, great week, and here is our show with Matthew Gould. Welcome to the Secrets of Success podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ken Keys. Well, when we think about today's stressed world, we always want to be able to lead. In a way that's effective with others, and today's guest is going to help us with that with his new book, "Lead from Your Heart." And interesting, he is just down the street from me. A lot of times, my guests are all around the world, but he—when I say just down the street, forty-five minutes. So, welcome to the show, Matthew Gold. Gold, I can. Gold, pardon me, Matthew. See, there you go. That's that dyslexia <laughs> that's fitting in there. So, hey, listen, I think you're probably you're, the show is going to be gold. But let's go with Gould as the last name. So,、uh, Matt, we've known each other for a little bit now, but、uh, thanks for making the time to kind of hang out with us today. Oh, you're welcome, and and thanks for having me, and and thanks for putting on such a successful podcast. It's great to be here. Well, thank you, thank you, Matt. So, Matt, when we think about you know being a leadership expert and now being an author, we'll get into that whole component sort of in the second half of the show. But、uh, we always like to hear the journey about how did our guests get to where they're at. So, what's a little bit about your journey、uh, growing up, and sort of your sort of、uh, family of origin, and those kinds of things that were going on for you? 
Yeah, I I grew up on the North Shore. I was I was born in Glace Bay, Nova Scotia, to two parents who were British and professionals. So my dad, who is still alive, was a doctor, an anesthesiologist, and my mom, who is still alive, was a dentist by training. Mm. And so grew up grew up in a household where uh, education led to a career. And for myself, after attending university, I went into sales. Sales was not necessarily perceived as a quote-unquote career or a professional career. So that was, that was my beginning of, of life, is growing up in a professional household, uh, work hard, study hard, and, and then lean into a career. Cool. So uh, when you think about uh, sales and the medical profession, uh, they're saying that they weren't holding that as high? Yeah, I, really, what, what you study is where you would end up in your professional career, and that's, that's what my parents knew, and that was their path, and they were very successful at following that path, and I would engage in conversations with my dad, who had a very, very good bedside manner. He would do his rounds before he would go into surgery. He, was a, he specialized in anesthesiology, so he would put people to sleep. And wake them up. <laughs> so he, he had an excellent bedside manner, and I used to speak to him about that was his salesmanship, his ability to connect with people under stress going into surgery. And I, I used to share with him that I believed everyone was in sales, and ultimately it led me to believe that everyone was in a relationship, ultimately, mm. whether it was a good one or an unhealthy one. Well, I agree with you, Matt, where, uh, you know, everybody is selling somebody to something, you know, even if it, it's your um, partner on what restaurant to go to or what to eat tonight or what show to watch. <laughs> We're always in this influencing side. Now, did you stay in Nova Scotia or did you uh, move? And then what uh, did you go to university? Yeah, so, so we moved. I was six months old and we moved to the West Coast, so coast to coast. And my dad started working at Lionsgate Hospital in North Vancouver. And, and so I basically grew up on the West Coast. And I'm 49 now, Ken, and I'm still growing up. <laughs> I haven't, haven't officially Aren't grown we up. all? Aren't we yeah. all? And I pursued uh, economics and geography, did a Bachelor of Arts at UBC. So I lived in residence there and had a, a wonderful time at UBC learning and growing. And making lots of mistakes. Mm, well, and, and uh, thank goodness we made a few of those so we can change them. Now, after university, uh, getting your bachelor's degree, what did you do then, Matt? It all started living in residence at UBC. Uh, I had a great roommate whose brother was in the cell phone business and the basically selling pagers and, and selling expensive cell phones back in the day. And he encouraged me, his roommate encouraged me, or sorry, my roommate encouraged me to speak to his brother about getting a job in this growing field of mobile phone sales or cellular phone sales. And so after university, I traveled around the world for a year and came back to a job selling cell phones for what was called Cantel and what is today called Rogers. And I spent uh, 25 years in the industry basically riding and contributing to the growth of 
mobile technology. Mm, cool. Now, let's just kind of scroll back for a second. You traveled the world for a year. Where did you go and what did you learn from that uh, year of traveling the world? Well, great question. I first started, the dates are important, Ken. I started traveling in 1993 and I went to South Africa in December. And for those who follow history, that was right around the time of the elections and Nelson Mandela and what happened in 1994. So started off in South Africa and spent a, spent a month living on a farm and just eyes wide open to things like racism and poverty and things that I wasn't necessarily exposed to or didn't have my eyes open to living in West Vancouver and beautiful Canada. And mm. so spent some time in South Africa and, and just learned a lot in hindsight, not necessarily in the moment, but upon mm -hmm. reflection, you know, I was young and, and beer was my friend and <laughs> having a good time. And yeah. What, so what motivated you? I mean, there's lots of places you could go to in the world, but what was sort of motivating you to go to South Africa first? Uh, a great friend of mine from university who I'd met there, she was down there and had, had come from there. And so she invited me down to, to visit and travel. And so that was the beginning of it. And then, you know, my parents and my sisters had also done some traveling and I just wanted to get some exposure beyond, you know, the small environment in which I had grown up in. And so travel starting in South Africa from an invitation uh, grew to going over to Europe, running out of money, finding myself in Australia where I have some family, incredible learning experience in Australia. I spent some time in Thailand and Malaysia and yeah, I just traveled around the world and 11 months later came home. Cool. And in, in Australia, what, East Coast, West Coast? Yes. <laughs> I traveled. Whoa. I Whoa. traveled a lot. Yeah, I spent six months there, uh, mainly on the, if I can get my geography straight, Sydney. Is that the West Coast? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, it's the East Coast. Oh, East. I know. It's backwards for us <laughs> because we go there. <clears throat> okay. Yeah. A lot of time on the East Coast and, and made my way to Ayers Rock and, Yeah. Cool, cool. So came back and then, uh, you know, jumped into this uh, wireless world, which was, of course, which is, continues to grow uh, even now as we speak and do this uh, recording in this podcast. What did you learn and what was sort of the progression of your career in that wireless space? So you started in sales, but you end up being a sales director, et cetera. So just take us through some of the milestones that happened there and some of the things that you learned about leadership as you were in that space. Yeah, it, it was such a fast growing field and it still is, as you mentioned, whether it's apps or, you know, different types of data and, and consumption. When I first started, it was this incredible rocket ship ride. And so I moved up uh, quickly. And when I say moved up, I started to have people that I supported as I got into management and that's where I started my ego started to get uh, larger it mm. was already relatively large because of the confidence I'd gained traveling the world and suddenly being promoted into a, a people leader position at a young age and all that came with that my ego inflated to the point where I started to fail miserably as a leader of people Mm. So take the audience through. I mean, one of the things that we like to do is be practical. 
take us through the things you were doing or not doing in that space that, that sort of led to these growth points or challenges? Well, the, the first thing, and it's very embarrassing to say and, and a good learning, was I ultimately didn't trust my team. And so I, I would micromanage their activity in part because I didn't know exactly what I was doing, Ken. Mm. And so sales were growing. Our results were thriving and improving. And it was really hard to set targets when there was such an explosion of growth. And yet fear overtook me. And I started to feel as though I didn't know what I was doing. So rather than say that and admit that, I would take it out of my team and ask them what they were doing. And I, I became very controlled around what they were doing, what their day was like, and they needed to tell me so that I could approve or disapprove of the activity. And it's, it was really horrible. It, it was horrible, and it became the, it was the first real setback I'd had in my 24 years on, on planet Earth, to be honest. It was my first setback where I was demoted and told that I was no longer going to be leading a team because I was doing such a poor job of it. Wow. Well, so how did you respond to being demoted and, and where did you go from there? Well, after crawling out of the fetal position <laughs> mm -hmm. and, and tears and embarrassment, uh, I sought a, a mentor. I phoned up a senior vice president who lived back in Toronto and I asked him if he'd be willing to mentor me and, and guide me because of my upbringing, because success and being professional at what you did was uh, thankfully ingrained in me. I didn't, I, I realized that this early failure, although it hurt and stung at the time, it wasn't the end. It, you know, my retirement was not around the corner. I had a long runway ahead of me. And so I, I sought the counsel or mentorship of a senior leader that I admired and I admired his leadership style. And so I started to basically study under him um, what it was that he did that would help shape who I would ultimately become and, and strive to continue to be now. Now was he, uh, sorry to ask the question, but was he at Cantel or Rogers at that time? Uh, so, so fast forward, I was now at TELUS. So the industry, uh, the, the first time I was demoted and moved back into a single contributor position, as we called them, I was now at TELUS. So yes, he was also at TELUS. He was internal. Mm -hmm. And TELUS was a large organization, still is a very successful one. And I just sought him out, A, because he wasn't in my region. So more importantly, B, because I just admired his ability to lead and, and how he did it. So I wanted mm -hmm. to study, study his approach. And the fact that he was even willing to do it is pretty amazing, isn't it? Yeah. I, I mean, I, paint, I probably paint myself a little aggressively and, and hard, and yet I still had a strong ability to maintain relationships. The fact that I didn't get let go from the organization says that I did have some level of relate, relatability. Mm -hmm. um, I wasn't mean. Uh, it was just my style was not helpful when it came to inspiring and leading teams. So people around me, I, I could maintain strong professional relationships with. I was taught that growing up and to respect each other. It was just how I was leading was not acceptable. So luckily, they moved me to a place of selling and, and leading a product line before I then had a chance to try again 
at supporting and inspiring people. Mm. Now, interesting, uh, Matt, and you know, I'll, this is a little editorial from the host. You were put in a position of leadership without any supervisory or leadership training, correct? That's right. Yeah. So that, that happens quite frequently in multiple industries. I mean, one of my partners works in law enforcement, and a lot of people are promoted into sergeants and corporals without any supervisory training. And so you have what happens in different industries uh, out there. So now you're being mentored by uh, this individual. When did the opportunity for you to lead a team come back to you? 18 months later. 18 months later. And, and just to add to your comment, Ken, success in sales, success in your role does not necessarily mean you have the skill set or the maturity or the you know, emotional intelligence to take on the responsibility of leading a team. And we, we see that in professional sport where you know, great hockey players or great sportsmen or sportswomen go on to be coaches and they fail miserably. You know, it doesn't mean that just because you're successful as a salesperson or as a, you know, as a, as a patrol officer that you'll be successful leading a team. So uh, 18 months later, I had a second opportunity. I applied for, for a role to lead a team and started anew with, with my newfound skills and learnings from my mentor. Mm. And if you were sharing with the audience, you know, before we dive into your book here in a few moments, is what were a couple of the sort of takeaways that your mentor started you with right away so that you could be more effective um, working with others or leading others? Yeah, the, fir the first one with a bullet was to get really clear on my vision. And I had, I had not needed to do that because if you look back at my history, things just flowed. Things just flowed, you know, from school to university to travel the world to a role inside a, a, a hot, hot industry and so I needed I did not need or had not needed to establish a personal identity and a clear vision for who I was and what I stood for so that that was the first thing he would ask he would ask me a lot of questions he became extremely curious about what is it that you want how do you want to evolve what type of leader do you want to be mm. and the second thing he he gave me Ken was this the power of curiosity he would never answer a question <laughs> Uh, that I would ask of him and tell me what to do. He would always, always, much to my frustration, I, mm. I wanted the answers. I'm like, just tell me, just tell me. I'm asking you because you know. And he would, he would uh, with this incredible discipline, always come back with a question, which forced me to seek the answers both within and from outside. It was incredible. He really showed me to take full responsibility for who I was and what type of leader I wanted to be. It was incredible. And now you do coaching of others. So of course, you know, most coaching methodologies or processes do teach the power of the question and how questions really help the participant or the person they're serving come to some kind of conclusion or at least to articulate. <laughs> if I believe in nothing, at least I could say that to you as a coach. <laughs> As part of that. Well, thank you for that, Matt. Now, when did you conclude your, your time in, you know, that space and then move into the professional development field and what really drove you to do it? So the, it was a blur. It was a blur. So six years ago, I went 100% full time 
into the the leadership space and and I I definitely collaborate I'm a, I continue to be a student of it I don't profess to know or be the perfect leader I'm, I'm a student and a collaborator of it and constantly learning but the, but the blur was as I one of the things my mentor challenged me to do was to learn how to be a better coach and so I took uh, professional coach training as part of my professional development at TELUS and I just fell in love with the results that I, I was generating with my team. I, I started to fall in love with my team professionally and then I, I love the methodology of staring at a problem together, everyone looking at it without positions of hierarchy and just coming up with ideas of how are we going to tackle and, and hit this target. And so I started a business on the side, I started to moonlight and, you know, in the early hours of the morning, 6 a.m., I would have uh, a coaching call with a client. And in the evening, I'd have a coaching call with a client. And I just started to more from there. And six years ago, I decided to go full-time thanks to a couple key clients who asked me to work more and more inside their businesses. Mm. So when you think about uh, this um, moonlighting, uh, where and how did you get these clients at uh, six in the morning or even find them? So, I mean, you're busy at TELUS and all of a sudden, it's, you know, because a lot of people listening to this say, well, listen, uh, how, did, how did you even just go out and get these people? How did they even know that you were available? You're, you're not going to believe this. Um, I put an ad on Craigslist in Toronto. <laughs> so Craigslist, I don't know if it's still popular. Craigslist was... Uh, a place to sell cars and, and sell your goods. And there was also, um, you know, you could roll out your services there and people would, would hire you from it. And so if you've ever sold a used car, your own private car, the first thing you do when your car's for sale is you put a sign on it or you place an ad that says, hey, car for sale. Mm. And, and you put your phone number or your email address and lo and behold, someone will call it and say, hey, I noticed your car is for sale. I did the same thing, Ken, for coaching services and I was nervous to do it initially because I didn't necessarily want people to think I wasn't committed to TELUS and so I put the ad in the Toronto, I was living in Vancouver which I still am and put the ad in the Toronto space and three days later my phone rang and I thought it was a joke, I thought it was a friend, saw my ad, recognized my phone number and so I didn't even trust the person <laughs> who called me and I ended up working with them for three and a half years from just an ad in Craigslist. Wow. Uh, you know what? I have Matt. I've never heard that before. So that's cool. Never like heard what? That. Never was, heard what? Well, somebody posting on Craigslist to get coaching clients. <laughs> so maybe I've been, had my head in the sand and I've just not been paying attention, but that's cool. That's cool. It's okay, so, you start, so now obviously you got more than one client from that ad. It started to roll from there and where it really started to take off was when I looked at at really what was my niche and I I didn't want to have a niche I didn't want to have an area of focus because I didn't want I was under the impression that if I had a area of focus I would cut out a big part of the market mm -hmm. and so for a long time I resisted and as much as people were telling me in the profession hey it's important to be clear on what you do so that people know why to choose you and I resisted that I needed to learn the hard way and once I defined my niche, which is really leader, anyone who supports a team, any, any leader, that became my niche. And so it just took off from there. And yeah, Craigslist to establishing a website to ultimately 
being in conversations like this and being in conversations with people about my passion and their problems and their opportunities and then it just took off. Cool. Well, thank you for that. I appreciate these unique stories, uh, Matt. And of course, you never know where they're going to come from when you're a podcast host. So uh, appreciate that. So I'm smiling with you as we go through it now. So six years ago, you did that. Where did the sort of the stages come from or the, the desire to write a book come from? I started, I, I started once again, there's a lot of good influencers out there in the world on different social media platforms. And I ended up getting connected to one who spoke about telling your story, writing your story, and just putting yourself out there. Similar to the beginnings of placing it out on Craigslist, I started to write on LinkedIn and just write my thoughts and experiences of coaching people. And it was a good outlet, Ken. It was a good outlet of rather than let the, the, the content of the coaching calls sort of stay within me, I, without breaching confidentiality, I would, I would share the general learnings that I was experiencing from being engaged in so many coaching sessions and so many conversations. And so I started writing. And as I said earlier, my pursuit of leadership has been from a perspective of being a student of it, not an expert in it. And so I ended up uh, a couple of years ago going down to uh, San Diego and California and I did a 10-month leadership development experience. And part of that, I met Tanya Schechter. She's the co-author of the book with me. And we had to do an in-between project. And our in-between project evolved to become a book that's now available on, on Amazon and, and something that we're both very proud of. Now, this uh, leadership uh, course in San Diego, who was that? Did you uh, stop your coaching or did, were you coaching from down there or uh, what was it that you attended down there? Yeah, great, great question. So I've just misled you probably. It was over 10 months. We did four six-day live-in retreats over a 10-month period. So okay. I continued to work and, uh, and every quarter I would go down for a six-day six day retreat. And CTI, the Coaches Training Institute. Oh, okay. Uh, I know who CTI that is. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Coactive leaders. Okay. Excellent. Excellent. Now, where does Tanya live? Tanya lives in Vancouver. Yeah. Well, there you go. Isn't that convenient? <laughs> so you can yeah. collaborate uh, close by yeah. and kind of hang out. Excellent. Excellent. So now you have your book, Lead From Your Heart. Let's just dive in. You know, we have about 15 minutes or so left in the show. So let's just kind of get into what are the core things that you are teaching about leadership, the art of relationship-based rela uh, leadership in your book that the, you know, anybody in any kind of context of leadership can embrace after they listen to you, this segment of the show? Oh, great. And this, this, isn't any, this is an anybody book. It is not, you don't just have to lead a team. If, if it is a book about leading from your heart in relationship. And we feel, and I'll speak for myself, I feel that we've, in a way we've lost the art of conversation and, and lost the ability to be in relationship, especially when we have opposing views. And so the core, the core essence of this book is how do you navigate conflict? How do you navigate a difference of opinion? And 
there's four cornerstones, Ken, that we could probably dig into that really hold, yeah, they really hold a relationship um, together. And one key thing I want to say about this is there's a, there's a baseline premise that is we are both fully responsible for who we are. There's no blame. And in our model, in our book, there is zero blame. So, you know, Ken, if this podcast doesn't work out the way you'd like it to, you, you can't, well, you could blame me. However, I probably, I probably will. I yeah, probably it, will, Matt. It just won't get us far. It just won't get us far. Instead, <laughs> instead, we could lean into the cornerstones and speak about, okay, you know, is this, an, is this a podcast we want to air? Maybe we want to redo it. Like, what happened? Who, who, who is responsible for this and how do we move from here? So our, our book is based on this premise of a map and, and we haven't seen a solid relationship-based leadership map and so we created one. And we created one to help people navigate conflict. Okay. So with that, when we think about, you know, leading from your heart, what are some of the sort of the principles you are teaching people about leadership there? And then what are the steps that you are embracing? Right on. So there's, there's four cornerstones. The first one is communicate your heart truth. And what I love about this, Ken, is that your, your truth does not mean that it's the truth. So this cornerstone is so key and I've made so many mistakes in, in relationships where I held back from communicating my heart truth because I made an assumption that it would hurt someone's feelings or made, or I made an assumption about how someone would respond. And so what I love about this is if I communicate my heart truth, it is my truth. It just doesn't mean it's, the truth that has to be forevermore. Is that, are you picking up what I mean by that? Mm-hmm. So, so it, 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 in essence, if I was to rephrase it as, as a listener, is that <clears throat> it is my opinion or my position, yeah. and you might have a different one, and that's okay. 100%. So, yes, it, it's my perspective. <clears throat> you know, I don't like the shirt you're wearing. That's... That's my heart truth. It doesn't mean it's an ugly shirt. It doesn't mean it's the wrong shirt that you're wearing. My heart truth just says, I, I actually don't like the shirt you're wearing. It's just my truth. So that's, that's an example of the terrible example of, of communicate your heart truth. So what I find, I've been married for 22 years, is that's an incredible cornerstone to lean into because if it's my perspective, we can move to the next cornerstone, which is to be curious. My wife gets to be curious about my perspective. I also get to be curious about where I might need to shift it, where I might need to stay in it. So the second cornerstone, which is really powerful for leading teams, parenting, having discussions about politics or religion or, or, or anything is to be curious. Let's, let's understand where someone's coming from Let's suspend judgment. Let's suspend our critique and our desire to respond. And like my mentor taught me, lean into curiosity. Get, ask another question and, and have an open mind to learn. Mm. Yeah, a lot of people bring the uh, judgment quickly, especially in leadership situations, and it just shuts down the interaction and emotions and engagement immediately, doesn't it? It's, it's quite offensive to, 
to the other person and it's very disrespectful. So if you and I are working in the same company, Ken, and I think we should turn right and you think we should turn left, we can argue until the day comes, until the cows come home. Or I could get extremely curious about the benefits of turning left. I could ask you, what's, tell me more about your desire to turn left. What is, let's go down that road for a little bit and see. And in turn, you could be curious about, okay, Matt, you seem really adamant about turning right. What is it that you're adamant about? And when we do that together, if we can be really curious instead of getting furious about each, each person's position or perspective, we might choose a path that is even better. Tanya calls it the third way. We, we might find a third way through our curiosity of each other's choices and perspective that is even better. Mm. Excellent. Excellent. So then what's your third corner cornerstone? Uh, my third, our third cornerstone is be open to possibilities and also, also extremely important is, is to have an open mind. And I mentioned, I mentioned this concept of, of having a, a very big ego and to me, ego edges, edges God out, it edges greatness out. The acronym stands for just edging goodness out. And if I'm not open to possibilities, man, oh man, does that ever shrink possibilities? Does it ever shrink potential? Mm-hmm. So if, if, you, if you think turn left and I think turn right, and I'm not open to the possibility that you might have the a, a better way and my ego gets in the way, man, do I not only uh, condense possibilities for myself, I condense possibilities for you and I, especially if we're in the same team, especially if we were in the same family or in the same community or in the same country. <laughs> so the, this cornerstone of be open to possibilities. Wow. Let's, let's be open to someone of a political orientation. Let's listen to them and be open to some of their concepts doesn't mean they're right it however let's at least be open to the possibility that there's some goodness there that we may want to further unpack and converse about mm. <clears throat> like you said uh, today's today well at least when this is being recorded i don't know you might be listening to this in 2050 um you know the the polarization is uh, is more true than 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 what you're teaching here it's, it appears to be anyways so yeah and we, we think we, we hope sorry to cut you off ken we hope this is timeless you know this is regardless of the date you know i look back and when i was traveling around the world and the ability to communicate my heart truth about staying or leaving a certain country when i was traveling with friends you know being curious being open to the possibility and the final cornerstone you know, committing to what is, you know, this, this cornerstone commit to what is really means, okay, we are at odds. We are at a state where you want to go a certain way and I want to go a certain way. Yet we actually want to continue to journey together. We share the planet. We do. That's one thing we do share. And there's, there seems to be some challenges. Let's commit to the challenges. We, what I mean by that and what Tanya and I wrote about is it doesn't mean ignore them. 
it, it means the opposite. In fact, it means embrace them. There are challenges. Let's just commit to the fact that those are there. And now how, how do we choose to navigate them? You know, when, there's, when there was stress in my marriage in the, in the first seven years, well, there's, there are stresses throughout. Through any healthy relationship, there's ups and downs. Let's just commit to the fact that we're um, at odds right now. And now how do we want to get back in alignment? So that's the fourth cornerstone that is powerful when activated. I think even if I recall, I mean, I have about a thousand books in my library, but um, Dr. Phil was just talking about his book 25 years ago on this one concept is that there are some things that you're never going to resolve in a relationship. <laughs> and you're going to think this way and I'm going to think this way, which are different. Mm-hmm. And so get on with it. So I appreciate that process that sometimes is we're just going to have to agree to disagree and move forward in it. And what you're saying is don't destroy the relationship because of it, but move forward in what you can in that relationship, knowing that these differences um, exist and so be it. Yeah. There's, there's something about when you're in conflict, when I'm in conflict with someone could be, could be my teenagers. It could be, could be my loving wife of 22 years when we're in conflict quite often Ken, you might relate to this and the listeners might relate to this. We get stuck into our camp. We get stuck into our corner and, and we're actually now arguing over the particles, the con, the content, you know, the, should I wear this? No, wear that. We're going to this restaurant. No, we're going, we're going to stay home and not spend the money. Like we argue about versus raising our heads up and going, okay, let's commit to the fact that we're at odds right now and we raise our we raise our heads up and we lower our weapons and we say hmm we're both hungry (laughs) now let's you know really all we're trying to decide is how do we consume calories tonight (laughs) you know so what's what's the new alternative Mm, we just go back to the context of hey we love each other we just need some calories so we don't faint how do you want to do that tonight? This is so there is an objective, but not necessarily um, an agreement about how to get there. And so we could maybe back off one step and say, hey, uh, what does this mean? So how so do I, what, what, how do I thing, apply Ken? this, Matt, to, uh, yeah. to leadership then in, in teams and, and, and use this on a day-to-day basis? Where, where can't you apply it? I, I mean, if, if, you, if you are on a team and someone on your team loses an argument, good luck trying to win the, the big game. So if, if, if we're on the same team and, and I win an argument, I win a decision, and the other person doesn't understand how we got there, good luck trying to win as a team from that point forward. Good luck trying to implement it. It's going to be so costly, so inefficient, and so ineffective and, and not rewarding. And so as a team... Great question. What is our purpose as an organization? What is our purpose as a family? What do we stand for? And then what are our core values on how we want to achieve, quote unquote, winning or, or how we want to achieve our targets and our objectives? And then you know, whenever you're wrestling together, I call it if we're in fighting, if we're fighting within, we're not out fighting, <laughs> you know, out competing to win in the marketplace. 
And so you can use these cornerstones as a team anytime there's conflict, anytime there's some form of inefficiency or friction. You can go to each of these cornerstones, almost like the corners of a wrestling ring, and you just check in with the cornerstone and ask yourselves, okay, how do we, how do we utilize this cornerstone? Where can we be more curious instead of furious? Where can I be open to the possibility that I'm actually wrong here? and could embrace something that Ken is saying. So yeah, these, these cornerstones are helping organizations be more efficient and ultimately more, more successful in the market because they're not fighting against each other. They're having healthy conflict. They're leaning into the conflict to generate a better outcome for everyone. There's, there's no winner or loser in this. Mm. Well, I appreciate your comment about curious versus furious because there's a lot of people who are furious uh, at different times. And, and you know, as soon as you, uh, are you familiar with uh, John Gottman's work? Yes. Okay. So, and the listeners know that I've shared that before, that once you get over a hundred beats per minute, non-athletic, you are no longer rational <laughs> and you say and do things that you uh, permanently regret uh, just because you're ramped up and the flush of chemicals gets you to say and do things because you are acting in a furious manner. Hey, I've done it. I get it. I know it. I understand it. Now, that being costly said... costly, too. It's costly. Well, sometimes relationships are permanently damaged as a result of it. Mm-hmm. With that, uh, Matt, what are some other things that are in your book that would be beneficial to the listeners? You know, when we think about relationships, when we think about leadership, when we think about communications. Thanks for asking, Ken. A core principle is taking full responsibility for your world. And one of my clients has ingrained in me, he has a great expression, take 100% responsibility for your 50% of any relationship. And it is the most empowering view I've come across. You know, no matter what happens to me, no matter what someone else says, if I can take 100% responsibility for my half of that situation, how I, how I internalize that feedback, how I choose to react to it, it's just this place of incredible power. So in the book, we speak about taking full responsibility for initially yourself. What is my role in this? Where am I responsible for this friction or this success? And then what is my responsibility for the impact I'm having on the person I'm in relationship with? And then what is our responsibility as a collective team? Take, let's take full responsibility for how we behave as a department or as a family, or as a team, or as a company. So the concept of taking full responsibility, and the opposite of that, Ken, is zero blame. If, if we can eradicate blame, we, our batteries instantly gain a charge because we can, we can control, we're responsible for what we do next. Couldn't agree more. So there you go. I'm not furious. I am more than curious. I'm in agreement. <laughs> You know, when Scott Peck wrote the book, The World, Le- uh, World or The Road Less Traveled, mm-hmm. you know, he confirmed this psychological condition called character disorder. And that is where I blame everybody else for my condition. Mm-hmm. Let's say I'm a leader, Matt, and I have a team member who wants to blame everybody else who doesn't take responsibility. Do you have any strategies in your book or things that, as a coach to help an individual sort of realize that they're blaming everybody else and then for them to switch. Cause 
if I'm blaming everybody else and I don't take any responsibility, then the likelihood of me taking responsibility to take responsibility is reduced. <laughs> so well, with, yeah. with that, what, any, any strategies or thoughts on how to maybe shift somebody when they are, uh, you know, they live in this blame world? Absolutely, and it, it takes courage. It takes courage to do what I'm about to say. You need to communicate your heart truth as a leader. If someone on my team is blaming and that's all they do, it is 100% my responsibility to have a conversation with that person and communicate my truth that all I hear them do is blame. Without casting a judgment on them, Just I, I have to A, communicate it, and then I have to get, don't have to. I can choose to be curious. Hey, what's causing you to blame everyone else? Number two, what's that like? And my, my wife's a registered clinical counselor, Ken, and her favorite, one of my favorite expressions she uses with me in, in particular is, how's that working for you? <laughs> so if I blame someone else, she'll ask me, how's that working for you? And actually, blame does serve because you're not wrong. <laughs> it's someone else's fault, and so you're, you're off scot-free. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, however, blaming is the most um, disempowering thing you can do. You're giving away your own power. If I give 1% blame to something, I've given up 1% of my power. So back to your question, it is incumbent mm. upon me, the leader, or me, the peer, or even if it's my boss that's blaming uh, someone all the time. I get to give feedback in a way that serves the relationship. And ultimately, the person gets to make a choice. They could continue to blame um, for the rest of their time on earth. That would be their choice. I would continue to stay curious um, and, and continue to give truthful feedback to them and hopefully influence a different outcome. Mm. Well, even personally, Matt, I feel a little convicted at the moment. <laughs> so, is, uh, well, as a leader who does leadership training, where, you know, situations where we get in and we're, we're sharing our frustration over somebody's behavior. But I never took responsibility to share with them about how they've been disruptive to the team. Right. So, you know, I talk about it being the sin of omission in leadership. So uh, I didn't do anything. I'm, I'm kind of getting upset over what they're doing, but I, I'm sort of blaming them for my lack of being taking the initiative and having the courage, as you talked about there. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I've seen that quite a bit where people maybe lack the courage to kind of share what's really going on and they avoid those, quote-unquote, conflict potential conversations. Yeah, which, it's unfair. It is unfair. It is, it is cruel. It is not leadership to sit in a room when that other person is not there and share and commiserate and be frustrated and vent with a peer about that other person. That is, not le- that is leadership. It's just not effective leadership. And a, a good takeaway for your, for your audience, Ken, is when, when someone jumps on a, a coaching call with me and they're, they're getting rightfully so frustrated about a team member, the first question I asked with them, I asked of them is, hey, when you shared this with your team member, what did they say? How did they respond? And many, many times my clients say, well, I haven't, I haven't shared this with them. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, and why not? Now, now whose fault is it? 
Not that this is about assigning blame, but what if we could, we could share how we feel with a peer when the, when the employee isn't there? What if we could find a way to share truthful feedback about our heart truth with that employee to the point where they're inspired to make a, make a change and that you're there with them to help them make the change? So if you're listening and, and, you, and you vent with a peer, you vent as an executive team, you, you vent with a friend, ask yourself, wow, have I been this clear respectfully with the person I'm venting about? And if the answer is no, then you have an opportunity to lead into your leadership muscles and go mm-hmm. and have that conversation. It's the most respectful thing you can do is let someone know the impact they're having. Mm. Yeah, a lot of times the first clue that they're not doing a good job is you're fired. And, uh-huh. um, and a lot of that goes back to where you started this whole podcast off, Matt, is you were put in a leadership position, you know, in your early 20s with no development or training. Yeah. And, um, you know, I don't want to get into blaming, but it's not your uh, fault that you weren't equipped. I mean, I always make a joke in one of our seminars said, uh, this is my first day. Uh, I've never flown an airplane and I'm getting into an Air Canada or Air American <laughs> Airlines jet. And I said, we're going to take off and I'm going to learn as we go. You know, like everybody would bail off that aircraft in a moment. But we right. do it in leadership every single day. So I get that. Now, we only have a few, a few minutes left, Matt. And so yep. I've really appreciated our conversation. Is with that, um, first of all, before we get into kind of your final thoughts of wisdom and insight, how can people get a hold of you and get a hold of your book and then give them the title again? Yeah, uh, so people can reach me many ways. They can call me. It's, I find, Ken, that just live conversations like this are, are missed. You know, we spend a lot of time on digital communication, email, mm-hmm. and, and text, mm-hmm. and there's so many assumptions that created in there, and it, we've lost that art of communicating through social. So I'd start with, with people can phone me and um, – my website is Matt, sorry, my email is Matt at morco.ca. So that's my website, but really just call me. And if you're connected with me on LinkedIn, just reach out to me there. My phone number's plastered everywhere. And the reason can I go with phone number is it's not about me. You know, my website, every interaction that I have with people, it's about them. And so I really just, just just like talking about myself. I even dislike talking about my book, to be honest, and Tanya's book, because I really want to understand the other person and where they're at. And based mm-hmm. on understanding where they're at and their company's at, perhaps, not always, perhaps what we've written about in our relationship-based map can contribute to where they're trying to go. Mm, excellent. So for those people listening, it's uh, morco.ca. And we'll make sure that's in the show notes and everybody can find you there. Thank you. And then we're, uh, give them the full title of your book and where they can get it. Yeah, so the, the book's available on Amazon. And if you're not a reader like myself, it's also available on Audible. We, we did a, an audiobook version of it. Uh, it's called, the title is called Lead From Your Heart, The Art of Relationship-Based Leadership. And it's co-authored, uh, myself, Matthew Gould, and my co-author, Tanya Schechter. So Amazon is probably the easiest way to pick it up. Mm, mm. Well, thanks, Matt. Now, Matt, we've covered a lot of uh, interesting content, and so thanks again for being on the show. What would be some sort of final words of 
wisdom for the audience and encouragement to them or steps to consider or things to consider to go forward? Yeah, final, final comment would be, I believe people are trying their best with what they have. And sometimes they're not trying their best <laughs> with what they have. And yet we are just in relationship where our roles as leaders, whether we're leaders in our families, I believe that everyone is a leader. So that's a, that's a responsibility that we all have in the world today is to make choices that contribute to, to humanity. And so my, my last parting words would be take full responsibility for who you are and look at everyone around you as equal. And together, commit to making a positive difference in what you do. <laughs> I really, that's, that's it in its simplicity. Mm -hmm. we're, we're, all, we're all unique. That's incredible in itself. So rather than be the judge and the jury, which it seems like many of us love to be, what if we got curious about this incredible thing called diversity and uniqueness? And together, we journeyed the limited time we have on planet Earth together and created something incredible. So yeah, mm. let's navigate, let's navigate things together. Mm. That's my Absolutely. encouragement to people. Well, thank you, Matthew, for hanging out with us today. Well, thanks for having me. This is, this is a highlight of my week. Thank you very much. I don't know how <laughs> I week, cut, it, cut the mustard we're, to get here. And for those that are uh, listening, we're recording on a Monday. So, wow, man, that's pretty yeah. good. We are fit into the first five minutes. Thanks for having me. me. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. Stay with us, Matt. So, Secrets of Success listeners, my encouragement that Matt has shared with you some amazing insights. You know, first of all, blaming really doesn't help. Hey, listen, I've been guilty of it in times in my life. And maybe we just get lazy. I don't know that we think about let's just blame somebody else instead of taking responsibility. The other one that I really picked up from Matt is around when I vent my frustrations on somebody else's behavior, but I haven't shared that with them specifically. As Matt said, that is unfair. The book is called Lead From Your Heart. Make sure you go and get it from them. And as always, thank you for spending your most valuable commodity with us, and that's your time. If you like what we're doing, just please pass it on, share it, leave a positive comment on whatever platform you're listening on. I'm your host, Dr. Ken Key. Thanks for exploring the secrets of success with us. If you want to keep the momentum going, log on to crgleader.com. Scroll to the bottom and sign up for our inspirational emails. You can also take your success to the next level by following us on Facebook and Twitter and connecting with Ken on LinkedIn. We hope you have a great week and look forward to you joining us next time for the Secrets of Success podcast with Dr. Ken Keyes.